Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. So good to be together to worship the Lord. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, I'm Dave Wilson, one of the pastors here. Uh, Jerry, who typically uh, does the preaching on Sunday, he and Donna are, uh, have the day off and they're uh, relaxing. I think they may have had an anniversary recently, so, uh, so I have the opportunity to share the word with you today, so excited to do so. Love it, love it, all right. Exciting. Uh, well, thanks so much. Well, um, I want to run a, a phrase by you, see what you think about this, see if you've ever heard of this. Here's the phrase. God helps those who help themselves. How many people have heard that phrase? God helps those who help themselves. Now, you might ask, where, where does that phrase come from? Um, pollster George Barna, who asked a lot of surveys and, and tries to find out what Americans think. He asked a thousand Americans, where does this idea come from that God helps, them, uh, helps those who help themselves? Uh, One thousand Americans were asked, 75% of people said it comes from the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Um, now, you might say, well, you know, that's a lot of different people. Maybe they, they don't read their Bibles. Unfortunately, 61% of people who go to church on Sunday morning also felt like, oh yeah, that's in the Bible. Now the correct answer is what? Is that in the Bible? No. no. Um, that is not a phrase that you will find in your Bible, unless you wrote it in the margin. Um, <laughs> to be honest, you know, there's, there's aspects of that uh, phrase that we could say, okay, I, I can see, I see the value in that. I, I think I see... Uh, why that might be of value to somebody. But to be honest, the idea that God helps those that help themselves is really an unbiblical idea. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's flatly uh, against the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, you know, if I'm honest with myself, if I'm honest with, with you, if I'm honest with God, there's something about that phrase or that idea that is stuck in my thinking. It really influences how I can view people in need. God helps those that help themselves. Well, um, our message today, in a lot of ways, will show us that this idea really misrepresents the character of God. And it can really misdirect the people of God uh, into living in a way that's really contrary with God's will. God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. But I would like to turn our attention to something that is in the Bible. Uh, and that is Micah 6, verse 8. Micah 6, 8. says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does God require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's Micah 6 8. Now, as we explore this passage today, I'd like for us to ask some questions uh, related to this passage. And the three questions are this What is bad? What is good? And what is next? What is bad? What is good? What is next? But before we get into that, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the, the treasure. Thank you for the riches of, of truth that we find in your word. Truth about you. Truth about ourselves. Truth about how we should live. God, thank you for the scriptures. Lord, would you anoint my preaching today? Lord, would you anoint our hearing today? Lord, us help, help us to not just be informed, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, we surrender ourselves to your work and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What is bad? What is good? What is next? Let's start with the first question. What is bad? Now, just by way of background, this passage is, 
is really a, and actually this message is a part of a series we've been having intermittently over uh, months, maybe even over the last years. And that series is called The Old Testament in Seven Sentences. Now this sentence in Micah represents a portion of the scriptures known as the prophets. We have the major prophets and we have the minor prophets. Three major prophets, three, actually, 12 minor prophets. And when we talk about the minor prophets, it's not minor in the sense that they're, they're not important or you can just disregard them. They're minor in the sense that they're shorter, uh, ver- uh, shorter books. Matter of fact, I think all 12 of the minor prophets can roll up into one of the major prophets, as it turns out, based on length. So... That's the the series that we've been in. Now, Micah fits into this category of the minor prophets. God outlines what is good in our passage today by speaking through the prophet Micah. But it's important to to understand what's bad in the book. Uh, I shared with you Micah 6, but Micah 1 through 5, there's a lot of things that are bad that we need to talk about. You know, sometimes we say we have good news, we have bad news. Uh, We're going to have the bad news first. So the first thing that starts is bad news. Now, generally, any time a prophet shows up in the Old Testament, guess what? There's some bad news. Uh, We don't really know a lot about Micah. His ministry was probably directed primarily to Judah. And it's, it's easy to forget sometimes, but... Uh, At this time, the kingdom of God's people was broken up into two parts. There's the northern kingdom, uh, ten tribes, it's uh, Israel. There's the southern part, primarily Judah, where Jerusalem is. And uh, this is really the scenario at this time. So Micah comes, he's actually speaking of everybody, all twelve tribes, but his, his directive, uh, in a lot of ways, is focused on Judah. Uh, he's from a small town. It's about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, and what we do know about Micah is very little, but he describes himself in the book of Micah. Let's look at Micah chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says this, The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners shall be put to shame. Uh, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I'm filled with power. I'm filled with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. To do what? To declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. This is bold. Micah says, I'm here to deliver some bad news. Some bad news. And... Um, In some ways, that bad news seems a little bit surprising to the people of God at that time. Um, This is a time when there's where there's relative peace. So often in the history of God's people, there's not peace. They're being invaded. They're being attacked. They've got the Assyrians, the Babylonians. You name it. There's conflict and strife. But during this time, things are pretty peaceful. Nobody's bothering. The people of God. And during this time, there's growing prosperity. The economy's good. The stock market's up. I don't, no, I don't think they had stock market then. But generally, people were more prosperous. They had more wealth. They were feeling good about themselves. Unfortunately, really at the heart of this growing prosperity, though, there's some bad behavior. So let's uh, transition from looking at the bad news to bad behavior. Now, Micah points out throughout his prophetic ministry that the wealthy people, the elites of that uh, community, were often growing more prosperous. How were they doing that? They were growing more prosperous by taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable. The rich were getting richer, and the poor were getting poorer. Now, that's a situation you've heard about before, right? Have you ever heard that? The rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. That's the scenario in um, Israel and Judah where Micah is ministering. It's, it's a common situation. And a lot of times people don't give that a lot of thought. Um, this can kind of seem just like a reality of life, right? We, we accept it without a lot of thought. 
Uh, it is what it is. Hey, God helps those that help themselves, right? Well, back to the book of Micah. Uh, It's important to get an understanding of what God's perspective is on what's happening. How does God see this growing prosperity uh, that uh, impacts uh, and kind of creates a growing poverty among the vulnerable? Let's look at Micah chapter 2. The Lord says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning comes, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, uh, a man and his inheritance. People who had position and power were taking advantage of the poor. Uh, They were taking advantage of those who were at a disadvantage in life. Really, they were taking the land that people depended on to feed their families. They were taking the houses, the the roofs over their heads, leaving people uh, destitute and homeless. It's a, a, a bad situation. This is bad behavior among God's people. Look at Micah chapter 2, verse 9. It goes further. The women of my people you drive out of their delightful houses. From their children you take away my splendor forever. The, the, the wealthy, uh, the powerful of that day uh, were using their position, they were using uh, their power, and they really had no pity. They were seeing an opportunity. Hey, here's a widow. She doesn't have anybody standing for her. Here's, here's an orphan. Who's going to speak up for them? I can take advantage of that situation. I can get their land. I can get their house. Uh, It's a a bad situation. It's bad behavior. And that leads to bad consequences. And these bad consequences are are foretold by the prophet Micah. So let's look at that. Bad consequences. So the situation in Judah and Israel, as you might imagine, it's uh, really kindled the anger of the Lord. God's wrath is hot. He's furious at what's happening amongst his people. And uh, that's going to lead to some bad consequences. He sends Micah to deliver this message, to speak the words of God to the people of God. He warns the people, and here's the bad consequences, of a coming judgment for their rebellion and sin. God warns that he's going to send the nation of Assyria to attack the northern tribes. God warns that he's going to send the nation of Babylonia to attack Jerusalem and Judah. Those are bad consequences. God is trying to get the attention of his people. He says, you've got to repent. You've got to turn back to me. If you don't, you are going to be judged And that judgment is severe. Amen? Uh, He's going to send nations to attack his people, to judge them. Uh, Look at Micah chapter 1, where this is spoken of. Micah 1, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, a lot of times we may not think about who's Samaria, who's he talking to, but that's the northern kingdom. That's the ten tribes. Verse 2, Hear you people, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, And he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt like wax before him. And the valleys will split open like wax before a fire. Like waters poured down from a steep place. All this, why is this going to happen? For the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the people. The house of Israel. Bad behavior has resulted in bad consequences. Unfortunately, the bad doesn't end there. Uh, 
Instead of turning to God, responding to God, the people of Micah's day respond by turning to what I think we would call bad religion. Bad religion. I think there's a band by that name, isn't there? Bad religion. Uh, In Micah chapter 6, there's something of a courtroom scene. We're being asked to kind of uh, consider in your mind's eye this courtroom scene. Now, as you can imagine, if, if you're being hauled into court by God, that's a serious thing, right? I mean, none of us like to go to court, whether it's, you know, to be on the jury or uh, especially if you're the one who's facing charges, the courtroom scene is not a pleasant one. But that's the scenario that, that kind of appears in Micah chapter 6. Um, God's bringing an indictment to his people. But rather than admit their guilt, the people seem to be asking for the Lord for some sort of uh, uh, a way to get away uh, without being punished. They're saying, Lord, what does it take? Lord, come on, let's drop the charges. You know, there's kind of that negotiation you hear about. The people are not saying, Lord, I'm guilty. Uh, They're saying, let's talk about this, Lord. Let's see what we can do to get you to drop the charges. Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6, this is, in a sense, the people speaking to the Lord about the charges he has against them. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now certainly the Bible does talk about worship and offerings and sacrifices as being good and appropriate. However, they should be evidences of a changed heart, of people who are repentant, of people who are wanting to be right with God. Unfortunately, People in the day uh, that Micah is ministering, they don't see offerings in that light. They're seeing this as sort of, hey, if I do this thing, God will get over his his bad attitude. You know, this is a way to appease God. He's having a little bit of a tantrum. So, but but they're kind of, there's kind of an attitude to what they're saying. I mean, they start with saying, Lord, uh, how about an offering? Offerings uh, in that culture were, we're expensive. They, they cost something. And he, they kind of go and say, well, what about a, a calf, a year old? That was even more expensive, you know, to, to, to keep a calf uh, and, and ready and appropriate for sacrifice for a year. That was expensive. Then they kind of go from, from fairly normal to their, they really start uh, kind of exaggerating. They say, well, what is, what is it going to take, Lord? You want a thousand rams? Is that going to make you happy? Do you want thousands of rivers of oil? And, and they're not talking about oil like, you know, to, to produce gasoline or something. I mean, we could probably use thousands of rivers of, of oil, petro, you know, today just with the cost of gas. But they were thinking of oil like the, the holy oil that was used in sacrifices. Um, they're, they're just uh, looking for a way to get out of jail free. Remember that card in Monopoly, get out of jail free? That was your way of getting out of and dealing with a problem. There's bad news, there's bad behavior, there's bad consequences, there's bad religion. So that's a lot of bad, right? Uh, Unfortunately, um, actually fortunately, the story doesn't stop there. We're going to go from from bad to good. So let's look at that uh, next. We've looked at what is bad and what's bad is the situation and the way the people were dealing with it. Let's look at what Micah says about what is good. Um, God answers the people's offer, this offer for empty ritual, by telling them what really mattered, pure and simple. And that's what is really at the focus of our main passage today. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Now, I think about it when you're growing up. Um, if your mom says, what did I tell you? Anybody ever hear that? What did, what did I tell you? Or uh, didn't I tell you to do X, Y, Z? Moms, do you ever say that? And then you hear also this. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. And that's basically saying, look, you know what you're supposed to do. You know what's right. This isn't a lack of information. You're just not doing what you know to do. He has told you, oh man. Actually, oh man there is Adam. In a sense, God's saying, look, I told you from the beginning of time. I've told you from creation what is good. Certainly, God told the people uh, in Micah's day for years and years and years what is good. But to be honest, God has been telling his covenant people since the beginning of time what is good. He's told you, Adam, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Now, you could look at that and say, well, wait a minute. God requires three things? I mean, isn't there like, I don't know, 600 laws and, and regulations? It seems like, this seems a little too simplified, Dave. Did you, you've, maybe you left something out of your notes. It can't just be three things. But it is three things. God's saying, hey, let me boil it down to you. Let me simplify it for you. But you might ask, you know, is Micah right? Micah seems to be undermining, he, he doesn't seem to be giving a lot of value to uh, to uh, offerings and sacrifices. You know, it seems like those are really represented as being good. Now, you may uh, be interested to find out that during this time, Micah's not the only prophet who's sharing these things. He's not the only one who's saying, uh, you're doing injustice to the poor. He's not the only one who's saying, if you don't change there's going to be destruction. He's not the only one even that's saying, stop doing the em empty ritual, ritual and start living right. Um, during the, the ministry of Micah, if you look at it chronologically, there's actually two other prophets ministering to the people of God at the same time, generally. Uh, you know, the ministry is taking place over decades. But there's Micah, there's Hosea, and there's Isaiah. Can you imagine that? I mean, this gives you a sense of how serious and how important this message is to the covenant people of God. He's sending not just one prophet or two. He sends three prophets, two to Judah and one to uh, Israel. And it's amazing, if you have a chance, to see how similar their message is in so many ways. I've told you, O oh man, what is good. Um, can it really be that simple? Can it really be that easy? Well, let's look at what God is saying to his people through Micah. He's going to tell them what is good. And there's three things. There's good action, there's good attitude, and there's good relationship. The first is good action. And that action is to do justice. He's told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? Do justice. Now, do justice seems to be a pretty simple command. It's, it's stated very simply. It's very direct. Actually, there's no explanation. It's not in Micah. It doesn't say, here's, here's a five-point outline of what, of what justice looks like. They knew. They knew what justice looked like. He has told you, oh man, what is good? Justice. You know what it's like. However, in our day, I mean, we're thousands of years past, and justice is a term that people can take in a lot of different ways. Uh, people can be a little, have differing definitions on what justice means. Um, you might think about what comes to mind when you hear justice. You know, maybe you think of the Department of Justice or uh, you could be thinking of the scales of justice that are represented in our, our nation. I think there's a, a girl's line of clothing, isn't there? Justice. Maybe you weren't thinking about that. Um, you hear the term social justice or social justice warrior. 
Sometimes people, when they start hearing about justice, church people get a little queasy. Like, Wait a minute. There's some of that justice stuff. You know, there's somebody trying to get me involved in a political something or a, or a movement or justice. I, I, I'm not sure about that. I don't know what's going on. Um, the word translated injustice in Micah 6, 8 is a Hebrew word, mishpat. Say that with me, mishpat. All right, you now speak Hebrew. Congratulations, mishpat. Now, mishpat is expressed when someone is given what is due to them, whether they're God-given rights or punishment when they've broken the law. Now, mishpat, maybe, maybe it's new to you, but it appears hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Old Testament alone. Uh, it's amazing how it's pervasive in the scriptures. Um, it can mean various things in various situations, but really, the majority of the times you see justice, it's not talking about uh, giving people the right sentence when they break the law. Now, that's, that's kind of what we tend to think in our nation and in our culture. We think about justice. Oh, they got justice. You know, they got the right sentence that was appropriate to what they did wrong. But that is not uh, what the Bible's talking about for the most part. The vast majority has to do with making sure that people get their due. Protection, provision, and care. At its most basic meaning, uh, to treat people equitably is what justice is. Equal treatment. However, God uh, was most interested in giving a particular group um, a particular emphasis when it comes to justice. There was a particular group of people that really needed it. They needed to have a special focus on getting justice. Who were those people? Uh, these were a people uh, who couldn't help themselves. Most often in scriptures, they were represented by the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant. These were the people who were the weakest and most vulnerable in the covenant community of God. They were the most vulnerable among the people of God. Let's look at a few passages that, that bear that out. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1. <clears throat> I mentioned this was Isaiah. This is, how to, this is kind of his initial uh, introduction to his ministry. He's, he's calling the people, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to who? The fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Justice is caring for the vulnerable. Psalm 146 starting in verse 5, says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed. And gives you an idea of what that justice for the oppressed might look like. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Justice is caring for the vulnerable. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Another passage. For the Lord your God is a God of gods. Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who's not partial. He takes no bribes. He executes justice for who? The fatherless, the widow. He loves the sojourner. Who's the sojourner? They're the, the immigrants, the foreigners. He gives them food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, because you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Justice is caring for the vulnerable. And you know, justice is really central to who God has revealed himself to be. He reminds his people again and again, I showed you justice. I showed you justice when you were oppressed, when you were weak, when you were vulnerable, you were in the land of Egypt, I brought you out, I delivered you, I cared for you, I provided for you. That's justice. 
God says, you were a sojourner, and I cared for you. I want you to do the same. You, we are all image bearers. And there's, there's lots of ways we can do that. But one of the ways that we can represent God to a watching world is to do justice. Because God executed justice towards us when we were weak and vulnerable. We couldn't help ourselves. God wants us to do the same, to bear his image in caring for those who are vulnerable. Deuteronomy 24 says, You shall not pervert the justice to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take the widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. He's going to repeat it at the end. I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in the field, you forget a sheath, uh, which is wheat, in the field, you shall now go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Therefore, I command that you do this. These are, these are strong words. <laughs> when you see commands, that you will do this. Sometimes we don't like, I don't like those. I don't like commands. You're, you're, you're holding me in. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling restricted. But God cares for the vulnerable. This is very much core to to the kingdom of God in so many ways. When God spoke through the prophet Micah to tell his people to do good, he told them to do justice, to care for the vulnerable, the helpless, the hopeless. And um, he's basically saying, he's talking about with your land. I mean, this was an agricultural uh, society. All their... All their possessions, all their wealth, all their well-being was tied up in the land that they owned. And think about it. If you're a farmer, so you've got, he mentions a few uh, examples here. You're a wheat farmer. uh, You have olive trees. You have grapes. God is saying, in a sense, he's saying, don't maximize your yield. For the most part, like if you had olive trees, you had to like beat the branches to get the olives off. But but you would do that the first time. There would be some olives that are ripe and ready to go, but there'd be a bunch that don't come down. They're, they're not quite right. So very often, if you had an olive vine, uh, vineyard or uh, orchard, you, you would shake those trees multiple times. Uh, if you were harvesting grapes, there'd be times where you'd go through and there's a lot of it ready to go, but there's some grapes that are not quite ripe. You want to go back. You want to maximize your yield. You want to increase your profitability, right? God says, no, leave that. Leave the things that didn't come down the first time. That's for the poor people. That's for the widow and the orphan and the immigrant, for them to go on your land and harvest some of that to help them in their time of need. By the way, God's not saying that's charity. Do that if you want. God's saying that's justice. If you don't do that, that's an injustice towards the people of God. Sobering words. Um, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Think about that. What, what God is describing in Deuteronomy to people as it relates to the grapes, and, and he's saying, look, disadvantage yourself so you can advantage the community. By, by being less profitable, in a sense, you're providing for people in need. Um, the Bible so often says, if you do that, that's what the righteous do. The unrighteous are those that, that see a weakness, 
that see an opportunity in those who are vulnerable and you're exploiting them. That's an injustice, but that happens a lot in our world, doesn't it? And, and there's, a, there's a powerful drive to sometimes to take advantage, to say, look, hey, that's, a, that's something I could take advantage of. That's an opportunity for me. God says that's injustice. Uh, God loves justice, helping those who can't help themselves. So justice is the action. It's a good action. Doing right by all in the covenant community. Just a brief note. A lot of times when I say covenant community, who are you thinking about? What's, a co- what's the covenant community in our day? And that, in the, the day of Micah, it's, it's the nation of Israel, it's Judah. What do you think about when you hear covenant community? You can think of church, right? And I, I think that's good. I don't want to dissuade you from that. But I'll tell you what, I don't think that's all of the covenant community. I think we might consider, is the covenant community all the people of God in our city, in our town? Do I have uh, a call from the Lord to provide justice to people outside of the church? Something to think about. (laughs) We don't have time to dig far into that, but I'd like you to kind of put a bookmark on that and maybe think about it later. So in addition to the good action, there's also a good attitude. And that good attitude that we're called to is to love kindness. So Micah 6.8, again, he's told you, man, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness. Kindness is a, is a word that Maybe in our culture, it doesn't, doesn't mean a lot. It's just sort of being nice. You know, you held the door open for somebody. Okay, that was kind. Um, that's okay, but it's probably not exactly what God had in mind when he says to love kindness. Kindness is an attitude towards all those in the covenant community, especially those who are the weak, the vulnerable, the poor, the hurting. So God calls his people in Micah 6 to love, to love love in a sense, to love covenant love, to love steadfast love. So we talked um, a minute ago about what is the Hebrew word for justice, and we said that word was what? Mishpat. Mishpat. So there's a Hebrew word for kindness, and that word is hesed. Everybody say that, hesed. It's great. Our, our Hebrew is growing. It's amazing. Uh, hesed is kindness. It's really one of the most important words in the Bible for describing the covenant relationship with God himself, but also to describe the covenant relationship with one another. It's a, there's a sense of loyalty. And you know, I don't know about you, but it's easy, it's easy to be kind and considerate sometimes when people are doing well. You know, they're, they're doing good, they're happy, uh, they're, they're prospering. But what about when somebody's hurting? They've got a need. They're having lack. That can challenge us sometimes. It's not as fun to be around hurting people. But that's, that's kindness. That's covenant love. It's saying, look, look I'm, gonna, I'm with you. I'm committed to you. I want to be loyal to you even when things are bad. Even if you're a widow or an orphan, if you're poor, if you're struggling, I'm committed to you. That's kindness. And uh, that's a characteristic of God himself. Look at Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood before him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in kindness and faithfulness. Your Bible may have a different word. Abounding in steadfast love, abounding in loyalty, abounding in mercy. It's all the same word. It's hesed. It's a loyal love. Um, God has Loyalty. He has kindness for his people, us. In fact, he abounds in it. 
not that God just has a, a little, you know, he's got enough kindness to get, get by. He abounds in kindness. Uh, Psalm 136 is a great passage, a great uh, place in the Bible to think about and get a, feel a weight for how much God is kind towards his people. Psalm 136, just one verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. His hesed endures forever. In that, in that psalm, that phrase is repeated 26 times. Uh, you know, mentions different attributes of who God is, and it follows it up with his hesed lasts forever. God wants us to get that. We should come away from that psalm and saying, God's kindness, that's long-lasting. It never gives out. I can always trust in his kindness. Um, it lasts forever. That's encouraging. Uh, it may be uh, hard for you to think about yourself in that. How do, does my kindness endure forever? I'm, I'm not sure that I have anything that really endures forever, except for my, my bad attitudes or my whatever. Um, but you know, uh, and we may not have time to look at this too deeply, but the book of Ruth is a great place to, to see hesed embodied in the lives of people. It's primarily just about three people uh, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. Um, Ruth, when her, uh, her husband uh, of Ruth won, Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. That is hesed. That is loyal love. And that's not just a picture for us to think, wow, those, those are some superheroes of faith. That's, that's what we're called to do. That represents God's commitment to us. That's to represent our commitment to one another, especially when we're hurting especially when somebody's vulnerable, to say, I don't care what's going on. I'm with you to the end. That's his head. Finally, uh, in regards to what is good, we've talked about a, a good action, justice. We've talked about a good attitude. That's covenant, uh, loyal love. Now let's look at a good relationship. Return one more time with me to Micah 6, 8. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Walk humbly with your God. That's good. What is it exactly? If somebody came up to you in community group and say, hey, how do I walk humbly with my God? What would you say? What would you say? Well, th um, this again has to do with our relationship with God. Humbly is an interesting word. So we're supposed to walk humbly. Um, a lot of times when we think about humbly or humility, we tend to think about it, think of humility as not thinking more of yourself than you should. That's not a bad way of thinking about Humility, but, but in this usage, to walk humbly with your God, uh, a, probably a better way of thinking about it is walking carefully. Walking uh, circumspectly, if you want to use that word, circumspectly. Um, rather than being lazy or flippant or, yeah, I'm walking with the Lord. No, when you're walking, walking humbly with your God, there's a sense that you respect the Lord. You love the Lord. You're, you care so much that you're attendant to what he desires. You're attendant to what he needs. You're walking with him. We're called to walk with the Lord, to love him so much, to be attentive to who he is and what he desires, to be eager to be with him, hungry for his presence. This is not what the people were like in Micah's day. 
they were not hungry for the presence of God. They were, hey, I'm going to do things my way, my time. Uh, I'm going to go back to the temple if I'm in trouble and I've got to do some sacrifices. But they were not walking with God. We're called to walk with God. Um, Let's look at a few scriptures that talk about walking with the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding of you today for your good. So walking uh, with the Lord is connected to fearing him, loving him, serving him. It's good to walk humbly with our God. So let's close this. Uh, We've looked at what is bad. We've looked at what is good. Now let's look at what is next. Where do we go from here? Just to remind you, the reality of what's communicated in Micah is truly staggering. It shows the reality of our relationship with God is borne out with how we live with him and how we live with others. How do we do justice today? Let's look at that. Uh, If we just pick one thing. Let's talk about justice for a minute. Um, Think about justice within our church. Do you know a widow who's suffering? Are there fatherless children who are among us that need some care? Need some of our time? Are there those who are burdened with poverty, who are struggling to make ends meet? We have a responsibility to them. We have a privilege of ordering our lives in such a way that when there's a need, we're ready, we're willing, we're able to help them. To be sure, and just to commend you, uh, you are doing justice in so many ways. I see uh, this happening, I hear stories of people who are caring for their brother and sister in Christ when they're in need. And that's a good thing. That's something we want to commend and celebrate. As I said earlier, I think there's a benefit to us thinking about can we care for the vulnerable uh, who are outside of just the walls of this church, who are brothers and sisters in Christ who may be greater needs in other areas. I think we could all think about our city and say, you know what? there are places in the city where the people of God are more likely to be vulnerable. They're more likely to be in need. They're more likely to need justice. Some of those can be our our brothers and sisters in Christ south of Central. Actually, if uh, just one zip code over from ours in kind of the Lealman area is one of the poorer parts of our city too. Uh, something approaching 40% of all children under the age of 18 are in a place of poverty. We ought to think about, we ought to consider how can we do justice where justice is needed. It really can be this simple to do justice, but it's, it's not easy. Um, there's a sobering reality. This is kind of a downer in a sense, but it's reality. When you look at um, the book of of Micah, the book of Isaiah, the book of Hosea, I mentioned that they all foretold destruction. Guess what? The people of God did not heed their warnings. The northern kingdom was destroyed. Those ten tribes scattered. Scattered. The people in the southern kingdom, they were attacked by Babylonia. Judah, uh, people were hauled off into exile. Jerusalem was attacked. They did not respond to the warnings of God. In the middle of all this judgment, in the middle of all this severity, there are reasons to hope. And that's true so often of the prophets. There's all this judgment and and bad behavior and difficulty, but there's these little glimpses of the future. There's little glimpses of something to hope for. And that is true also in Micah. 
Look at Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from, uh, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Who are they talking about there? Jesus. They're talking about the Messiah. Uh, God is going to redeem. God is going to restore. God um, comes through for us in the end. And ultimately, he's the one who is just. At the beginning of this message, we talked about this widely held idea where God helps those who help themselves. Uh, God helps those who can't help themselves. Amen? That's justice. Uh, ultimately, the ultimate de- demonstration of that is embodied in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. Uh, he was prophesied in Micah. He put himself at the ultimate disadvantage to advantage us. He took on the disadvantage of being crucified, suffering that we might experience the advantage of his salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, even when your word is sobering, even when your word can catch us up short, show us maybe areas where uh, we need to grow. Lord, thank you that you're working in us. Lord, for the justice that is occurring, for the kindness that is present, we say, thank you. That's your work. That's fruit of, of your spirit working in us. But Lord, would you help us to grow? Would you help each of us, each, each man, each woman, each young person here today, Lord, help us to see our place in this. Lord, are there ways that we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God? We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.